morning, Plum Creek. It's great to have all of you with us today. Uh, and I hope you're having a great weekend so far. Uh, you know, I always look forward to Memorial Day weekend. At our house, we have this tradition of hosting some family from out of town. And after taking a break last year, we were able to have them in again. And it's always great to spend time together. Uh, but like Tom was talking about earlier, I also want to remember the reason for this holiday. It is a humbling thing to know that many people have died to defend the freedom that we have in this country. And, you know, many of us didn't have to fight in those battles at all, but we still get to enjoy this freedom. So it's an appropriate thing to stop and be grateful. Now this morning, uh, we're going to look at a battle that happened way before the United States became a country. Uh, we're traveling back a thousand years before the time of Jesus to a time when a boy named David defeated a giant named Goliath. Right now at Plum Creek, we're taking several weeks to go through the life of King David. And today, we've arrived at one of the most famous stories in the whole Bible. I'd say it's in the top five at least uh, even if you've never been to church, e even if you've never picked up a Bible, you've probably heard the story of David and Goliath. It's an absolute classic. This story is depicted in books and movies and TV shows. Uh, there's even a VeggieTales version where Goliath is a big pickle. Uh, but my favorite depiction of this story goes back about 20 years to Parkview Christian Church in Finley, Ohio. Back in the day, I was the youth minister at Parkview, and for several years during my time there, the youth group did something that we called walk-through Bible dramas. And here's how it worked. Uh, we'd pick a well-known character in the Bible, somebody like Moses or Paul or David, and then uh, we would tell the story of that person using actors and special effects. Uh, the, the people who came would travel from room to room, and each room would tell a part of the story. And I have a lot of great memories from these Bible dramas, but my, one of my favorite memories was the time when we assembled a giant. We built our own Goliath. Now, we wanted to build an animatronic figure like the ones you see down at Disney World, but we were on a budget. So uh, we went down to Lowe's. We got a bunch of supplies, and we took them back uh, to uh, one of the, uh, the students' garage, and we used PVC pipe to create a skeleton. Uh, we used foam rubber to fill out the body. Uh, we also made a, a mean-looking papier-mâché head. Uh, one of the moms sewed a costume, and then the students made a sword and a shield and a helmet. And this thing was pretty cool. <laughs> I tried to find a photo of Goliath in all of his glory, but the best one I found was pretty blurry. Uh, it still gives you an idea, though. Uh, this figure was over eight feet tall, I think. And the cool thing was that he actually moved. Goliath was in front of a curtain, but behind that curtain were several students operating the figure. You'd have one student wearing a harness, and he'd be holding Goliath up. And then others would be operating the arms. There were cables that went through the PVC arms, and they could, they could pull on those cables and make the sword and the shield go up and down. And then 
when you combined that with our pre-recorded giant voice and the soundtrack from Braveheart playing in the background, it was all pretty intimidating. Uh, now, our David was just a kid. He's probably about seventh grade. And he was tiny next to our Goliath. Uh, but just like the Bible story, right on cue, David stood and he walked up to Goliath and he slung a stone, hit him right in the forehead. And then some of the kids behind the curtain lowered the giant down to the ground and the battle was won. It was this very cool moment. And part of the reason this was so cool was because of the story itself. Uh, this story resonates with all of us in a, in a deep and meaningful way. Because at one time or another, we've all been an underdog, right? At one time or another, we've, we've all had some kind of giant that we've had to face. And that's why we go back to this story again and again. There's a common question that all of us are asking, and the question is this, how can you face your fears with courage? And that's the question we want to answer today. You know, there are many things in life that can make you afraid. Uh, you might fear pain or suffering or opposition or maybe just the unknown. But whatever it is that makes you afraid, I know that God has a word of encouragement for you this morning. And I want to give you a heads up. Uh, today, we're going to look at this story from a little different angle. Uh, now, there's a common interpretation of this story that you normally hear, and it goes something like this. David is an example for us to follow. He, he's an inspiration because uh, he's this underdog up against a terrible enemy. And the odds are against him, but none of that bothers him. He goes into the battle with unwavering courage and a strong faith in God, and he wins the victory. So the interpretation that we normally hear is that you and I should be more like David. We should face our fears with courage, and God will help us defeat the giant, whatever that giant may be. Now, I'm not here to criticize that particular interpretation, but I do think we can look at this story on a deeper level. You see, we need to be wise in the way that we interpret Bible stories. Uh, when some famous Bible hero says something or does something, that's not always an example for us to follow. Uh, for, for instance, look at Abraham, classic Bible hero. In one part of Abraham's story, he lies and he puts his wife at risk in order to save his own skin. So that's not an example for us to follow. You could also look at Jacob. Jacob married two women and he also had a couple of concubines on the side. But that's not God telling us that it's okay to practice polygamy. And even with David himself, there are several things he did that are not examples for us to follow. But what about this specific battle? with Goliath. Should we try to follow David's example and approach our battles in the same way he did? Well, in one way, yes. But in another way, we are not meant to fill David's shoes. And I know that might sound a little strange, but it's going to make more sense as we go along. And before I continue, I have to say that I am indebted to a preacher named Tim Keller. Uh, he helped me see this story in a different light. And I believe his interpretation takes the entire Bible in mind. 
And I believe it's accurate, and it's also a very helpful way to think about this. So I'm going to share some of his insights today. But first, we need to go back to the biblical account. Uh, There are probably details here that you've either forgotten or maybe you've never heard. We find this story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. And the chapter opens with two armies preparing for battle. On one side, we have the army of Israel. This is, uh, the, the, these are the military forces of God's chosen people. And they're led by King Saul, the first king in Israel's history. On the other side, we have the Philistines. And in this part of the Bible, the Philistines are often the bad guys. So uh, here's the picture. You have two hills with a valley in between, and each of these armies are encamped on their respective hill. And that's when we get to 1 Samuel 17, verse 4. That verse says, A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. So there's the villain. And before we move on, I want you to notice the word champion there. Uh, That's going to be an important word later on. More on that later. Now, as this passage goes on, we get a detailed description of Goliath. In fact, uh, one commentator said that this is the most detailed physical description of anyone in the whole Bible. Now, for starters, we learn that Goliath's height is six cubits and one span. Most scholars say that is over nine feet tall. We also learn that Goliath's armor weighs 5,000 shekels. And 5,000 shekels is about 125 pounds. That's a heavy suit of armor. He also has a bronze helmet, bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin. He's pretty fond of bronze. And as the description goes on, it's pretty clear that Goliath is a formidable soldier. He is a living war machine. Now, I have to pause here because some people would read the description of Goliath and and kind of write off this story like it's a fairy tale. After all, how can you believe that a human being grew to be over nine feet tall? Well, I learned something this week. In the early 1900s, there was a man named Robert Pershing Wadlow. Wadlow was 8 feet 11 inches at the time that he died in 1940. This is less than 100 years ago. You got somebody who was just one inch away from 9 feet tall. 1940. Uh, Some of you could have met this guy. (laughs) So there's no reason to doubt that the biblical description here is accurate. Now, before this great battle begins, something interesting happens. Goliath steps out toward the army of Israel, and he, he offers a deal. He says, choose one man from your army and send him over to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, then we will be your subjects. But if I'm able to fight and kill him, you will be our subjects, and you will serve us. Now, I want to go back to that word I mentioned before, the one I asked you to notice. You remember what that was? It's the word champion. In this setting, a champion was a representative that fought for your army. 
Uh, And in ancient times, this was pretty common. Uh, Two armies would arrange a contest between two champions. It's a fight to the death, and the winner takes all. And it's actually an efficient idea. With the champion system, there's no need for hundreds or thousands of casualties. Only one guy has to die. So in general, this is good for both sides, unless you're up against an army that has Goliath. Unfortunately, Israel was not blessed with a nine-foot giant. So we get their response in verse 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Now, I don't know about you, but dismayed and terrified sounds pretty reasonable. But Israel still has to make a decision. How will they respond? Well, officially, they decide to do nothing. Every day, for 40 days, it's the same thing. Goliath comes out in the morning and he taunts and challenges the army of Israel. He takes a break in the afternoon and then he comes back in the evening for one more performance. Now, it looks like this could go on indefinitely, but then another character shows up. You know who I'm talking about, right? It's our boy, David. And David is too young to join the army, but he is old enough to go out to the front lines and deliver some snacks to the boys. So Jesse, David's father, sends David up, and he loads him down with bread and cheese. To be specific, ten cheeses. For some reason, that caught my attention this week, because I like cheese. Uh, But anyway, when David reaches the army... He hears some kind of commotion among the soldiers. So he drops off the food and he runs over just in time to hear one of Goliath's typical speeches. David is shocked. He he sees the Israelites cowering in fear. So he turns to his countrymen and he says, Seriously? Are you going to allow this uncircumcised Philistine to defy the army of the living God? Guys, this is disgraceful. And they say, yeah, that's our plan. (laughs) And right about then, Eliab, David's oldest brother, steps up. You might remember Eliab from last week. And Eliab says, David, what are you doing here? You should be back with dad watching the sheep. I know you. You are conceited. And you just came here because you want to find, you want to see the real men fight. Well, David is like, bro, what have I done to you? Am I not even allowed to speak? But David doesn't waste any more time arguing. He goes straight to King Saul and he says, I volunteer. Send me out to fight Goliath. Now, if Saul had been a great leader, he would have volunteered to be the champion himself. But we already saw Saul was terrified. At the same time, though, he didn't want to see this kid get killed. So he says, no, you can't fight him. You're too young. You're too small. This this man has been a warrior ever since he was a boy. But David doesn't care about that. He says, Saul, with all due respect, I have spent a lot of time watching my father's sheep. And that is a dangerous job. Because sometimes a lion or a bear would come out and attack us and, and, and try to carry off one of our sheep. 
And whenever that happened, I would turn on that animal, grab him by the hair, sock him in the mouth, and kill him dead. And Saul, I assure you, that same thing will happen to this uncircumcised Philistine. He will be like that lion or that bear. And God will protect me. God will deliver him into my hand. Now, if you're Saul, what do you say to that? <laughs> Can't really say anything. So he, he says, all right, go. And the Lord be with you. But before David leaves, Saul tries to dress him in his own armor. Uh, but David's not used to it. The armor is heavy and cumbersome. It's not the right size. It would just slow him down. So David walks out to face Goliath with just a staff and a sling and five smooth stones from the river. Now, you should know that an ancient sling was actually a lethal weapon. Uh, a sling consisted of two long cords with a pouch in the middle. And you would take a stone, put it in that pouch, and then grab the ends of the cords, and then whirl that stone round and round, and at just the right time, you would let go of one of the cords and send that stone flying. In the hands of an expert, that stone would be released at a speed of about 100 miles an hour. So yeah, you could definitely kill somebody with that. But despite the fact that David does have a decent weapon, he has no armor, no shield, and he's up against this mountain of a man who does have armor and a spear and a javelin. Even if David was an experienced soldier, it would be laughable for him to go out to a battle like that. But he wasn't an experienced soldier. He was a boy. He had no military training. So uh, this looked like a suicide mission. The whole situation looked ludicrous to both the Israelites and the Philistines. And Goliath sees this boy walk out to him. And in one sense, he's amused. In another sense, he's insulted. He raises his voice and he says, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? Come here, boy, and I will feed you to the wild birds and the wild animals. Now, at that moment, David gives one of the best pre-battle speeches in all of history. I want to read this word for word. 1 Samuel 17, verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come at me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the army of, armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Now, don't you love that speech? Doesn't that make you want to get up and, and go fight your enemy? Well, hold on to that feeling. But let's take a second and go back to our big question for today. How can you face your fears with courage? Well, in David's case, we see two important qualities. First, he has a bold faith in God's goodness and his power. 
Uh, David believes beyond a shadow of a doubt that the Almighty God is on his side. And because of that, he doesn't need to worry about anyone. Second quality David has is a selfless desire for God's glory. Did you notice that? He doesn't call attention to himself. He says, when I kill this joker, the whole world will know that the God of Israel is the one true God. This is not about me. It's about him. Now, with these two qualities, is David setting a good example for us to follow? Absolutely. But let's see what happens next. Verse 48. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And just like that, the battle is over. The kid is victorious. Actually, the battle's not quite over. Uh, there's a part of the story that they always left out when I was growing up in Sunday school. Uh, you know, in the movies, when everybody thinks the bad guy is dead, and then all of a sudden he comes back and he scares the pants off of you? Well, it seems like Goliath is dead here, but David wants to make sure. So, verse 51 David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath. And after he killed him, he cut off his head with the sword. You know, the Bible's pretty graphic when you read the whole thing. Uh, but now, once Goliath has been decapitated, it's the Philistine's turn to be terrified. The Israelites all of, all of a sudden have this new courage and they run out and they give the Philistines a historic smackdown. So uh, that's the basic story today. But let's get to the application. How should we apply this to our lives? Well, a lot of times we think there are two kinds of courage. Goliath-style courage and David-style courage. And according to most of the world, Goliath-style courage is the way to go. And here's how it works. First, you look at your strengths. Focus on your strengths and you build up your self-esteem. And then you fight back your fears. And finally, you visualize success. You see yourself winning the battle. That's Goliath-style courage. And we hear this line of thinking all the time, right? It sounds like this. If I really believe in myself, anything is possible. I can overcome any adversity. I can win any battle. I got the heart of a champion. Now, listen, I'm not questioning the value of positive thinking. When you develop a healthy self-confidence and you work really, really hard, it's absolutely true that you're able to accomplish a lot more than you thought you could. So no, self-confidence is not a bad thing. But is there a problem with Goliath-style courage? Several problems, actually. One big one is a disconnect from reality. The truth is, not everything is possible. If I climb up onto the roof of this building and I really believe with all of my heart that I can fly, no amount of self-confidence is going to prevent me from landing on that pavement at a high rate of speed. 
I could give you more examples, but you get the idea. We all have our limits. There are some battles that are just beyond us. But let's look at David-style courage. What is it, where does that come from? Well, we talk about this. Uh, David had a bold faith in God's goodness and his power, and that was coupled with a selfless desire for God's glory. And is that an example for us to follow? We talked about that too. Absolutely it is. So what's the problem here? Well, let's think about this in the context of the Bible as a whole. Let's say that you have put your faith in God. You've given your life to Jesus. Now, does that mean that God has promised to win all of your battles and kill all of your giants? Well, didn't we just learn that from the story of David and Goliath? Well, we need to look at a few other characters in the Bible. For instance, John the Baptist. He had a bold faith in God. He had a, a passionate desire for God's glory, and oops, they chopped off his head. <laughs> we could also look at Jesus himself. You know, God the Father allowed his innocent son, Jesus, to be mocked and beaten and crucified. That doesn't sound much like the David and Goliath story, does it? And this is where we have to be careful. There are some ways in which we can't put ourselves in David's shoes. Because if you try to do that, you could end up with a Christian version of Goliath-style courage. That kind of courage would say, hey, if I'm a good Christian and if I have enough faith, I know that God will never allow anything really bad to happen to me. But if that's how we're thinking, what do we do when something really bad does happen? Do we give up on God? Do we doubt our own faith? Maybe it wasn't strong enough? Well, we don't need to do those things. We have several great examples from the Bible in this area. For example, look at Esther. If you remember the story of Esther, you know that she approached King Xerxes without permission. And she knew that if you went to the king without permission, you could be killed. But still, Esther said, what? If I perish, I perish. In other words, yes, the worst could happen, but I'm still going to obey God no matter what. You could also look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego right before they were thrown into the fiery furnace. What did they say to King Nebuchadnezzar? They said, we know that God is able to save us, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Even if he does not save us, we're not going to turn our backs on God. That's an amazing faith. And it's also a realistic faith because sometimes God does allow bad things to happen. Now, I realize somebody could say, well, if God doesn't promise to win your battles and defeat your giants, what's the point of putting your faith in Him in the first place? But this is, this is where it gets very cool. We need to go back to that concept of a champion. It's that representative who fights on behalf of the whole army. Goliath was one champion. David was the other champion. 
So if you put yourself in this story, which character should you identify with? Well, we might think it's David. And to some extent, that is true. But in another way, we can't follow the example of David. You're not meant to be the champion. And neither am I. The true champion is Jesus. You can look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. In Hebrews 11, there is a list of Bible heroes, people who had great faith. In fact, Hebrews 11 is also often called the Hall of Fame of Faith. And we read about heroes like Noah and Abraham and, uh, yes, David, too. And you do get the idea that we're supposed to follow their example and live with a bold faith. But how is it that we're able to do that? Well, to answer that question, we need to go to Hebrews chapter 12. Look at this. Hebrews 12.1 says this. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Now, do you see that? If you want to have a bold faith, don't fix your eyes on Noah or Abraham or David. That's not how you follow their example. Fix your eyes on Jesus. He's the one who enables us to live with a bold faith. And how does he do that? Well, listen to this. I I love this. You see the word pioneer in that verse? The original Greek word there is archegos. Uh, In the New International Version of the Bible, which is what we're looking at here, um, archegos is translated as pioneer. Your version might say captain or leader or founder. But this week, I read one Bible scholar who said, if somebody from the first century was translating this verse, uh, they might use a different word. And do you know what word he's talking about? It's the word champion. And that's actually the translation we see in the NLT. It says, And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. And this is not some academic, theoretical idea. This is the reality. God has sent a champion to fight for you. And like David He's an unlikely warrior. He didn't come with a show of strength and authority. He came in humility. He came as a servant. And at one point, it looked like Jesus had lost the battle. Instead of killing his enemies, they killed him. But that was all part of God's plan. The crucifixion was necessary because Jesus came to take our place and pay the penalty of death that we deserve to pay because of our sin. So yes, in the short run, the crucifixion looked like defeat, but that wasn't the end of the story. On Sunday morning, Jesus rose from the dead. He walked out of the grave, and he proved that he has the power to win any battle that you and I could ever face. So one more time, think about the story of David and Goliath. Where do you put yourself in that story? Who should you identify with? At the end of the day, you and I are like the Israelites, off to the side, 
with our knees knocking in fear. We need a champion to go out and fight for us. Jesus is that champion. And when you put your trust in him, you can be confident that sooner or later, victory is coming. Now, there will still be days when you are afraid. There will be days when you encounter something that looks like defeat on the surface. But make no mistake, the resurrection of Jesus is a preview of your resurrection. One day, you will see the ultimate victory. And on that day, all glory belongs to Him. So how do we wrap this up? When you are facing a giant, can you trust in God? You bet you can. And will He help you overcome your fear? Absolutely. And will He give you victory? Yes. But it may not always be the victory you were looking for. You may actually lose your job. Your spouse may refuse to reconcile. Your health may get worse instead of better. And then eventually, you'll have to face death itself. Now, sometimes we do get the short-term victory we want. God can do that, and He often does. But in some cases, we have to wait until that ultimate victory. This is one more truth that we see in Hebrews. In Hebrews 10.36, we read this, Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that He has promised. So let's go back and add one last item to that list of how we can face our fears with courage. First, we need a bold faith in God's goodness and power. Second, we need a selfless desire for God's glory. But then we also need a patient endurance until the ultimate victory through Jesus. In fact, all three of these things come from fixing our eyes on Jesus, our leader, our our captain, our champion. So do you need courage today? There's a good chance you do. Because at one time or another, we all get short on courage. But it's an amazing thing. Ah, The more we look to Jesus as our champion and our hero, the more heroic we can become. Let's pray. Father, uh, we know that you are good. We know that you are powerful. You're all-powerful, omnipotent. Sometimes, Lord, uh, we are afraid. Some of us are, are facing something very difficult right now. It feels like a giant. But Lord, help us to turn to you, to trust in you with a bold faith, to know that uh, your glory is, is what we were made for, to, to worship you. And Lord, however that needs to happen, even if that means we go through some difficult things, Lord, help us to do that. Help us to have a patience, an endurance, a perseverance until that ultimate victory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.